Welcome to Well Good Movies, the podcast which asks which movies are well worth watching and remembering for all time. Every episode, we discuss a different piece of film history to decide if it should make its way into our movie vault. Filled with questions, trivia, and crazy challenges, it's the perfect way to deep dive into a myriad of movies. But don't just take my word for it. Here's a glimpse of what to expect in today's episode. Right. Rob, your next character. Mm Mm-hmm. Space Cabbie. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. Space Cabbie. I'm going to go with not a DC character. Well, it is a DC character. (laughs) Damn it. Okay. Right, Mr. DeMille, I'm ready for my close-up. Are you not entertained? I'll be back. Oh, hi, Mark. They call me Mr. Tibbs. supposed to blow the bloody doors off well good movies hello and welcome to well good movies the podcast that asks which movies are well worth watching and which deserve to be remembered for all time i'm your host david osger and i'm joined by our very own angel of death who awaits it's craig mcdonald I was a bit more gruesome than I was expecting. There was a few options. What did you expect? Joker. Yeah, I was kind of like, considering this is like linked to the Joker episode, I was like, surely we've done that. But then actually, I think I did introduce you as Riddler in that one. So yeah, that <laughs> that probably would have been some weird kind of symmetry there if I had done that, I guess. Oh, well. Ah, but yeah, wait, I did go to the Dark Knight episode because I was rechecking my batman intros in the past to know which one to do and uh yeah there i said that you were a freak like me referring to the heath ledger joker so yeah i was kind of like okay i've done i've done joker at this stage so i wanted to make it a bit more phantasm linked yeah but to be fair i hear the phrase freak like me and i immediately go to the spider-man broadway show (laughs) well that's just because you've got a weird knowledge of musical songs which not many other people would know of that you sent me (laughs) yeah Anyway, so Craig, it is our first episode of 2024. Happy New Year. Happy 2024. Happy New Year. Obviously, we would have kind of gone through how we felt last year went and sort of expectations for this year. I think everyone knows how I felt about last year. (laughs) Well, yeah, they've listened to our Movie Vault update episode, which came out before Christmas. So I don't even think they need to listen to that one. I think they'll just know that like I was already dying throughout like periods of the year, just... I'm very happy to be talking about this film today because it in no way uh, embodies either of the two things that was torturing me last year, which was needless aggressive violence and the performance industry. This film is neither of those things. Well, we add Muppets Christmas Carol at the end of the year to make things a bit lighter. And yeah, I guess, you know, we we shouldn't turn away people from our episodes. So yeah, despite Craig's spoiler there, (laughs) go check out that episode. So yeah, today, uh, if you hadn't already guessed from what we were discussing there, we thought we would start the year off with a celebration and throwback to one of our first episodes. So uh, we've already uh, mentioned recently that we are counting down to our 100th episode. And so we've been uh, celebrating the countdown by sort of going to some films that have been 
long talked about that we wanted to sort of cover. So previously we've already done The Brave Little Toaster. So another animated film uh, with a sort of dark edge to it. Uh, we've got plenty more of those type of episodes coming up uh, in the coming months as well. Uh, but also uh, we want to start looking at some of the big films either in or out of the vault that uh, we've never got to fully discuss and with certain anniversaries and releases coming up, um, there's always great times to discuss those films. And I guess in our crazy chain of movies, uh, we may never get to speak about them if we sort of don't uh, use those opportunities to highlight them. Uh, but this gives us a chance to sort of, yeah, give uh, Batman Mask of the Phantasm uh, the full attention it deserves. So this ties into the 30-year anniversary of the film. It came out uh, pretty much on December 25th Christmas Day uh, over in the States when it was uh, released theatrically uh, and then it later sort of came into other markets and countries uh, via video DVD that kind of thing over the years Uh, so yeah 1993 was when this film uh, originally came out um, and we thought what better time to talk about it and fully cement its placement in or out you never know of the movie vault so Helping us on this special deep dive, uh, we have the perfect expert joining us as uh, we usually try to get uh, a specialist on to help us with these uh, special films. So who better to join us than filmmaker and massive Batman fan? It's Rob Aylin. Hello, Rob. Hello, gentlemen. How are you doing? Good. How are you? I'm surviving. Uh, I'm I'm not going to lie. I feel quite bloated. That's probably because of Christmas. Um, it's been quite a Christmas and a very, very merry new year. Uh, a merry new year to you, gentlemen, I should say, first of all. Uh, and, uh, yeah. How strange to say 2024, man, right? How strange is that? Where did 2023 go? (laughs) Like, literally, where did it go? Um, but yeah, no, um, I'm good. All things considered, everything's great. That's good, yeah. And, uh... I'm glad uh, you're able to join us on this one, Rob, like I said, because you are the perfect person to talk uh, all things Batman. Obviously, we uh, have had you on the podcast before, uh, but we haven't had uh, the honor of talking about um, sort of superhero stuff or comic book stuff uh, on this podcast yet. But there's also, apart from the fact that obviously we've got the anniversary of Mask of the Phantasm, which this is tying into, and it gives us the chance to go back to something that's gone into the movie vault in um, one of our first episodes. It also has kind of a relevancy in the sense that you do seem to have this theme of like coming up within films, the start is off for the years. So uh, if you look at 2022, you were in one of our, you know, our first episodes for that year in which we talked about Sherlock Holmes, which was coming off yeah, of The Room, right. which as well yeah, is, yeah. is a yeah. film you're a fan of, uh, which again is a kind of dark detective film. Mm-hmm. And then your choice of film had you won the endgame in that one was Seven, which then was picked out of the lucky dip in uh, our Endgame special of 2022. So then that was our first film for this year. <laughs> so you're like a force ghost or something. You've, you're always there watch, watching over us, I think. You you started us on this trajectory, which Craig earlier said was filled with murder and <laughs> performance. So uh, I don't know, blame, blame Rob, Craig, maybe? I don't know. <laughs> Look, to be fair, as you also pointed out, I think Rush Hour did sort of bridge a gap there so i'm not sure if necessarily it officially started with seven i think it more officially started with 
uh, Demolition Man, and then we sort of went from there. My goodness, what a selection! <laughs> what a selection any time, of any time to disc Demolition Man, Craig will use it. So that that is the big f- uh, theme and takeaway no, 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 from twenty twenty three. To check, to check, Rob, what is your feeling on Demo? Very quickly, what was my feeling on it? Oh, I, I, yeah. I love it. I I, 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 <laughs> I it. love it. No, I do. I'm sorry. I absolutely love that movie. Um, I feel like. With Demi- Why do, am I alone do on this? What, do you know what I'll say about Demolition Man? Like, because I think it came just after, but it almost felt like that was Stallone's apology for doing Judge Dredd and how bad that movie went as well. Because when you look at the two movies back to back, they, you know, like the whole sci-fi element and the action stuff in between. And it's almost like he... It's almost like as if Judge Dredd was supposed to be Demolition Man first, but then he ended up realising, oh, I should do Demolition Man anyway. And the funny thing about Demolition Man is it's held up really well in certain areas, like even the whole Schwarzenegger stuff. Like, it's <laughs> it's true, man. You, you you know, facepalm all you want, but, you know, that's that's there. And do you know what? We still have a Pizza Hut. We still have Taco <laughs> Bell, you know, and, you know... I'm just going to be so concerned in the future when we find out what the hell are those damn three seashells for? You know, that's going to be the burning question that I'm going to be asking myself in the future. My love for the character really stems from my first encounter, um, which was... So I grew up in East London, specifically Walthamstow, and there was a market, one of the longest markets in Europe, apparently. Uh, probably still to this day, one of the longest markets. And uh, there was a comic book stand and they saw this um, front cover for a comic titled Fatal Wish and it was bright pink. And then in the middle of it was this character in a bat suit in a black and blue kind of aesthetic on a rooftop. And, and then you had the headline, it was Batman. And I was completely drawn to it and, you know, naturally picked it up, bought it, took it home, still have it to this day. It's on my shelf it's a part of my collection and that's where my fandom really began and then discovered through through 90s television basically being glued to the television the animated television series and then discovering of course the film that we're going to be talking about now through a museum which is based actually now in the the US but they did have one in the UK very briefly um it's called the uh it's called mommy oh i can't even get the right expression but it's basically the museum of movies essentially and it was uh oh there we go the museum museum of moving image i got it finally there we go you can use that you can use that it's fine anyway so um there was a museum called mommy a museum of moving image and they had it screened in the background and at the time they were promoting batman forever and that was actually my kind of first exposure to this film and realizing and the animated series and kind of going backwards and seeing this image of a guy shouting at another person in this bat costume. And um, I was just so completely amazed by what this was. And then, and again, not to go too kind of morbid over it or anything, but at the time when this was going on, I had just lost my father to cancer. But at the time, I also discovered my love for film by going to the cinema and seeing... uh, a movie about a uh, a Buzz Lightyear action figure and a Woody cowboy on this glorious 80 plus minute adventure and then tying that in with this character of a man who's lost his parents through quite a horrific 
circumstance and event. And instead of just grieving, he took that and changed it to be and made it to be his greatest weapon, essentially. And as a kid, that is essentially what I did. I almost saw this new father figure in Batman and he became this kind of uh, guardian, guardian angel, if you were, um, to guide me through quite a difficult time in my life. And I always say that superheroes are ultimately uh, the colour that bring... Um, they are the colour that uh, bring brightness to a dark time in our lives, or let's just say a window that's open um, for us. And... um. That has what that's what Batman has done for me from a very young age, and to the point where, as you gentlemen know, I made a Batman fan film called Living in Crime Alley, which then kind of just set me off in a whole new direction in terms of my career. To the point where I not only direct more films, but I direct theatre and commercials here and there. So it's a it's it's a necessity, I would say, this character in my life, and I have no problems talking about the character in such a loving way. And I feel like my life has been playing up to this moment of talking about it on this podcast. And I have to say, it's a pleasure to finally chat about this film in particular. It's a pleasure to have you on, Rob. Uh, yeah, it definitely felt like um, looking through the movie vault in terms of, you know, what films have we not got to fully discuss? And again, this being one of them, and it was, you know, there was only one person we could go to to discuss this film with. And uh, yeah, thank you so much for sharing you know, your history with it and that emotional connection, which I think, you know, again, adds such a, you know, a big layer to how important characters are, but also then stories and sort of like seeing ourselves through these stories or how they can, you know, get us through like tough times. And yeah, just especially like, like you said, superhero stuff in which a lot of those films and stories and comic books, etc., are filled with, you know, tragedy and emotion, but also then the positives and everything that comes, comes about with that. Um, so definitely, you know, a big theme that we'll be discussing as a part of this film, I, I guess, as well. Let's uh, get on to uh, Mask of the Phantasm. And uh, first off, we'll uh, discuss its sort of technical elements and, you know, who was involved in it. We don't have as much of a recap. Craig, I don't know if you want to sort of use this as like, uh, for people who didn't check out our last episode, you know, back in 2019, whether you want to use this as a moment to say, how did we come to talk about this film? Well, you've just have, David. <laughs> you did that earlier. You said that we have done these things. Well, no, I just meant if you if there's anything that would ease you into it better. But Craig, tell us about Bat Batman Mask of the Phantasm. Well, as we all know, because we all decided to discuss this film off of our own backs with no coercion whatsoever. This is a story in which Batman is wrongfully Im Im implicated in a series of murders of various mob bosses being committed by a brand new vigilante assassin. So this has uh, a number of different sequence directors, but primarily the main directors of this film um, and very influential over the actual series itself are Eric Radomski and Bruce Timm. Uh, Bruce Timm having a slightly longer name in the credits for different reasons. Story by Alan Burnett. Screenplay by Alan Burnett, Paul Dini, Martin Pascoe, and Michael Reeves. Overall, the concept of Batman itself was created by Bob Kane, with music by Shirley Walker, art direction as a whole by, by Glenn Murakami, and editing by Al Breitenbach. The cast, 
very uh, very iconic cast for those people who not only are fans of the animated series but a lot of batman lore at all because uh heading up as bruce wayne and batman we have the late great kevin conroy uh further on we have uh dana delaney as andrea beaumont arthur bochner as arthur reeves stacy keach as both carl beaumont and the phantom abe vigoda as salvatore Velestra, dick miller as chucky soul john p ryan as buzz bronski efren jimbalis jr as alfred bob hastings as commissioner gordon rob uh, constanza as detective bullock and of course mark hamill as the joker Awesome. So yeah, let's uh, deep dive now into Batman Mask of the Phantasm from 1993 and look why it may deserve its place in our movie vault. Our vault that encapsulates memorable movies for all time. And for context, as we've already mentioned, this went into the vault back all the way in 2019 in our episode, The Joker, Why Is He So Iconic? And the film went in on the benefit of Joker's legacy and his role within that film. So Mark Hamill playing a big part of that, um, you know, when we were comparing him to other Jokers. Um, that episode came out around the time that the Joker film came out. So we were sort of talking about why is he a character that even deserves like his own film? And, you know, what is the legacy there? Why is he such a big sort of movie character? And then by association of this film going in, I guess we were sort of recognizing the legacy of the animated series uh, as Hamill is often referred to as, you know, the Joker, the best one by a lot of fans. So yeah, we thought this would be a fantastic opportunity to talk about Batman Mask of the Phantasm as a whole, as a film, as obviously there, again, we were talking mainly about Joker or, you know, Mark Hamill loosely in terms of like this film and the animated series, but didn't get into the nitty gritty of other stuff that this film presents in terms of its story, its other characters uh, the other voice actors which are present in it. So, uh, Rob, you've already told us there about your sort of love of the Batman character and its sort of connection uh, to you. Um, what would you then say in terms of, like, the animated series? You know, is there any sort of context you can give us here for, like, what led to this film and sort of the creation of, of the animated series? Well, uh First and foremost, I'm just going to flat out pretty much say that I think the animated series for many people is probably the definitive Batman representation for many people, I would say, you know, and um, I believe from my understanding that the series was created off the back of or around the time of, I should say, of uh, Batman Returns and... I, a lot of the character designs in particular, you can kind of see Jack Napier's Joker's suit um, being an influence in the design, along with um, Oswald Cobblepot, the Penguin's look and uh, in in the series from the Danny DeVito film as well. And I think they even thought at the time this was quite a risk even for them to, to really... Um, you know, to to really push the boundaries of children's television. Because I know that there was a lot of, you know, rules they couldn't really, you know, have at the time showing certain violence and stuff. But here you had a show where you had gunfire, you had fists, you had kicks, you had, you, you had some very dark themes. And I think the true brilliance of the series from everyone involved i have to say cuz you know we can, we're going to name drop everybody again at some point but everyone at this collective moment they're all passionate about 
the the world of Batman, but they're also passionate about the world and genre of film noir. And in particular, I would go as far to say, as I know that Alan Burnett has said this a few times, that Hitchcock was very much a big influence on the making of that series, not just from the style perspective of, you know, like the art direction, but also in terms of the way you feel from these characters, the the fact that you have these psychologically driven storylines like for me like i could list so many great episodes like heart of ice two-face clayface the feet of clay episodes uh the riddler with riddler's reform and um then you have like perchance to dream you know all of these episodes that deal with very hard hitting i mean i didn't even mention and i should mention very quickly but like the the lunacy of certain storylines, but then matching it with these heartbreaking themes of um, what it means to be an actor, like is Baby Doll. Like, my goodness, that episode, each time I watch that, I just think this is such an excellent commentary on the film industry and the way that people, uh, actors in particular, are shoved off to one side from that regard. And... I think even for the team at the time, they knew they had something special when they um, immediately made the choice of, right, we're going to draw on black paper and design this show in that way because of the themes of the show and the storylines that we want to go down. And um, I think that's the true success of the show, which then um, led them to then doing... um, this 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 film uh and i'll come back to a point that i have uh later on which is interesting about the making of this um film which does tie back into the animated series but i think that for me is the core at the core what makes the animated series so strong is that it's not just a kids television show it's a kids television show which deals with adult themes that adults can enjoy as well sorry i just heard the 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 phrase commentary in the entertainment industry and I had an aneurysm. Uh. <laughs> it's come back to hold Craig. <laughs> but no, I think um, what's also interesting about this discussion is, and again, to go back to, you know, what we've been discussing recently and, you know, the idea with some of these episodes is that, you know, the last time we saw did this sort of like special look was something like the Brave Little Toaster again, in which it's like a very dark, crazy sort of 80s animated film. But some of the conversation there was, you know, why was this film the way it was? You know, who was involved in it? And it was talking about people who like worked for Disney and, you know, had sort of moved over to this other company. And, you know, why was the 80s such a dark time for animation and that kind of stuff? And I think what's interesting here is that you've got both the conversation as to like, what was the state of animation within television? but also then in the movie space as well. I think that, you know, recently, again, we were talking about Sleeping Beauty. So there's been quite a few conversations as to the sort of generations, I guess, of animation. And when you look at something like that from 1959, uh, which has got that Disney style, and then to look at something like this, in which, you know, Bruce Tim, etc., have said that they were inspired a lot by the style of Disney animators, which used like sort of firm lines and rounded edges and things like that, uh, which I think is quite fascinating. And then obviously he was inspired by a lot of comic book artists and a lot of other artists which use, you know, very specific styles. Um, and the way that he draws like certain characters, women in particular as well, you know, it, it all has that kind of like Bruce Tim look. 
But I think that to look at that kind of lens of, you know, how was, how did this come about? What, what was his influences? And, and like you said, is the fact that these are all Batman fans, this is what they wanted it to be. But there's also an element of like, there was a hunger for something like this. And this is often highlighted as one of, you know, the greatest television shows, period, but also one of the greatest animated television sh- series of all time. Um, and a lot of that, when you look into the kind of production history and interviews with the team, come down to the fact that they were making something that they loved, which they had passion for and they had clear ideas for. And I think I liked something which I think one of the producers said, you know, I think at one point they said that they were working in this like kind of rundown studio or kind of like sharing office space. And they said we were like the scrappy kids, you know, like which were just doing crazy stuff and just doing whatever the hell we wanted. Because I think in some ways, you know, it was Batman. So it was such a big popular thing at the time. They were like, yeah, you know, do what you want. But I think One of the producers also said, I think that with animators especially, like they always thrive when they have something to say, when they have something to fight against. So I love that aspect of uh, one of the producers saying that, you know, there's almost an element of like, yeah, you know, this is anti-Disney. Make it as, you know, less like the gummy bears and stuff like that as you can. Um, And, you know, have your input and work on things that you're passionate about. So whether that be certain episodes or certain storylines, certain characters... Um, I think all of that shows. And, and like you said, Rob, I think that the the noir aspect is a massive part of it. I think was it like the story editor sort of came on board largely because he wanted to have that, you know, that violence, you know, the guns and the the physical, you know, fist fighting and all that kind of stuff. Mm. And it's crazy when you look at animation at that time, but also DC characters at that time, because yeah, really before this, you know, with one exception, which we'll also talk about in terms of the film space, but animation television wise, it was Adam West, Batman mm. and like, is it Super Friends? Yeah, and things Super like Friends. That. Yeah. So, you know, those animated, uh, you know, shows and stuff like that are just, you know, crazily different and, you know, very much sort of represent especially when you look at Hanna-Barbera and the type of stuff that they're doing Mm. um kind of represent what television was like at that time but um but yeah it's interesting to look as well at how Spielberg was involved Mm. in the studio and stuff at at that time that uh I think I sort of looked looked up at how when I was researching this the fact that it very much was like we don't care what you do as long as Spielberg is happy and like because again, he was such a big name at this time and he had that involvement in these projects like Animaniacs and, you know, Tiny Toon Adventures, etc. I think that that is really interesting. A, a picture I saw of them, I think, stood in front of like the animation studio was like, uh, was Steven Spielberg, etc., which is them with all the logos in the background. And it's Terry, Semmel, Bob Daly, Steven Spielberg, and Gene McCurdy. And the stuff in the background is like Bugs Bunny Show, Tasmania, Tiny Toon Adventures, Merry Melodies, and then Batman slap in the middle. And it's like, it couldn't be more different from the rest of it. It very much reminds me kind of like what Nickelodeon has these days and to an extent like 10, 15 years ago with Avatar, you know, that sort of standing out so much compared to the rest of the Nickelodeon lineup. Many times, Craig, we've talked about animated series and things from you know the past uh you know joker especially like turning up in things like you know the batman beyond and you know how like crazy the you know those scenes are and then i think you know you've f- followed up and followed things like you know brave and the bold and stuff like that but i'm not sure if i've ever heard you you know fully talk about this original animated series what's, what's your sort of like memories or thoughts on it 
So I have to say, uh, just because of accessibility to media I had throughout my childhood, I didn't really watch much of this show as a kid. Um, I was certainly aware of it, um, but I think it was mostly sort of late teen sort of life that I really sort of gained an interest in the show and watched uh, watched a lot of it back. And I completely agree with the episodes highlighted by Rob. Um those are the ones that like really stood out to me um also just some, something like over the edge i also have to sort of big up just because of i think it was like sort of my first major exposure to like an elseworld story um and just the entire like oh you have a scenario in which batgirl dies and now what looking at all the repercussions of that and just effectively just watching like uh commission commissioner gordon and batman go to war um which is a a terrifying concept and also and just the way in which they sort of weave it and just everything falling apart um so yeah i have a great sort of i have a great admiration for this show um and i'm surprised that when we're talking about like the the sort of historical elements we don't we didn't actually fully address some of the the big things insofar as what this show physically just did to like the lore of batman going forward which i think is two big things the, the obvious one is it literally created one of people's most like most favorite batman characters now in harley quinn um like she physically just was not a thing until this show and then look at how far she's come now right like we've just had what the the end of the fourth series of her own animated show um but the other thing as well um and this is more i think this is true so please correct me if i'm wrong on this rob wasn't it also this show that was primarily responsible for rewriting Mr. Freeze's backstory? It was indeed. Heart of Ice, yeah. 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 So before he was just he was just a comical char- uh, sort of a comical character with like a, a freeze gun, where here they decided to go, no, let's actually give him an emotional core and that's where the entire the entire Nora Freeze uh incurable disease aspect came from. Um and that is something that a lot of continuities have stuck to. Even something like um, Batman and Robin, uh, for all of its faults, did decide to go with um, did to, did go with that storyline. Mm. Uh, there's an exact phrase I was going to use, but then I realized it would have been said by a reviewer that uh, I used to respect, but now could burn in hell. Uh, so I'm not going to say that. But yeah, so like, I think also just a. Like the other animated series, uh, like properties, I've also just uh, followed significantly. So it wasn't too long ago that I did an entire rewatch of the the Justice League cartoon. Oh, amazing! Yeah, yeah. Um, and also, and also going through Batman Beyond, which was the, yeah. also influential in it in its own right. So yeah, I I have nothing but praise to generally give for for the series. Um, I think it is one of the best culminations of just giving fans who appreciate different levels of Batman what they're looking for. There's action, mystery, a bit of campiness from here, uh, from here to here, but nothing that like is overwhelming. So even if you are just a fan of the uh, uh, Adam West TV show, there is still something for you here. So um, yeah, I I think they did an expert job of it. I mean, they knew exactly who their audience were. And, you know, for younger kids, it was just like a big little stepping stone for them to then, you know, for then years later, like like us, basically, to then look back and go, son of a guns, that's what they did. 
I think in that Joker episode as well, Craig, you know, we talked about the Batman 1989 film there. Um, that one did make it into the movie vault, maybe because of the sort of like, in some ways, the I- irony that that film becomes more focused on Joker than Batman in some ways. And that almost shows the sort of, you know, how, how the sort of fixation on that character. But I think that it's undeniable that that, you know, really took a dramatic turn for like superhero movies. And the fact that Tim Burton said that, you know, this is a film about Bruce Wayne, you know, and like that's what's going to differentiate it from it being Batman. I think that the visual aesthetics of it, you know, the kind of seriousness, the music that, you know, would then lead the animated series to be like, okay, this is what people want. Let's give them more of that. So the animated series definitely wouldn't probably exist without it. Yeah, I think there's definitely the comparisons uh, between the uh, the 1989 film and the show are definitely there because even the mute the music in the show to some degree have like motifs that are definitely present in the Tim Burton film that they seem to they seem to want to carry over. Um, so yeah, the influence there I think is not subtle. If 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 Superman 78 pretty much was the beacon of like, oh yeah, we can actually take this property and get some A-list actors like Gene Hackman and um, Marlon Brando involved within this and get an amazing director involved uh, to do this. Um, Then Batman 89 was very much a, we can take the material and take it in a much darker place, but then also have a bit more fun within that even more so. And... um, and I think as well, because the, the the other thing about eighty nine is is that it's it's a Hollywood machine. Like you have to remember back at then. I mean, it's possibly I was born in ninety one, but I know from what I've read about the film and its marketing was huge. I mean, I'm heck, I'm wearing a pin badge. Like apparently, people were wearing that, and you knew automatically you're part of the the group, you're part of the club. You know, you're part of the eighty nine. You know, renaissance of this character. You know, and you know, <laughs> you'd walk the, into buildings playing yeah, prints. exactly. You know, <laughs> billboards and everything. You know, and I think at the time, you know, it was about to celebrate its. 50th anniversary i think because uh 1913 yeah that that checks out i think yeah um so you know it was a perfect marketing machine and it's a perfect way of you know if there was a template of how do you market a superhero movie that was it you know and then on the back of that you have the animated television series as we discussed with the legacy of the series not just spinning off to multiple um animated series and you know defining other people's careers and creating certain characters as you mentioned Craig um and bringing this legacy here but for me the legacy of Batman Batman Mask of the Phantasm in particular is it is now a hotly debated topic of whether or not this is considered either number one or number two of the best Batman film ever made. And, you know, I know people try and take this one out of the equation because it's a quote unquote animated movie and yes it is of course it is but the fact that it was theatrically released i think does make it a contender for um this this debate as it were and in this bat fan's opinion and i know i'll probably get a lot of slack for this but i don't care but i i generally think this is the best batman film made honestly right now still it is way ahead of its time in terms of what it's doing, in terms of its storyline, 
and the themes in which it tackles as well. But I thought I'd share with you something I hold very dear and very special. I think, David, you may have seen this before. Uh, but Craig, um, I'm just showing you this now. This is a signed copy of Mask of the Phantasm, oh, which wow. I, uh, from the late, great Batman himself, Kevin Conroy, who I met at Los Angeles Comic-Con when I was screening uh, Living in Crime Alley at the um at the convention and had the chance to meet the man got him to sign it and we had a 10 minute conversation and for me he summed it up best about the legacy of the movie which is it is ultimately a love uh love story uh which is unheard of for a batman story first and foremost but it's also um a story about the masks in which we wear and I'll never forget him saying this because then, um, then sadly, a year to the the, the point, like to 2022, then passed away. But I remember him saying, you know, there's we all wear a mask as creatives, and we we perform under an illusion and a disguise where we hide our true selves, but we discover a truth about ourselves within that. And I found that really fascinating. I didn't quite understand fully what he meant at the time but then when he wrote a beautiful comic for pride in 2022 where he he opened up his about his sexuality i then realized what he meant which was the reason why he's able to play this character is because he himself is someone that has had to hide himself for so long and i found that to be a really heartbreakingly beautiful tale ultimately and i think that for me is part of the legacy of not just the animated television series um but of the movie and of kevin conroy's portrayal as batman and i will never forget that 10 minute conversation which then you know i did very cheesily end with the great ghost finale which was i used to watch the animated series with my grandfather and the batman was my hero and he still is. And he says, you know, you're not the only person who says <laughs> that quote back to me because, you know, conventions all around. But I can tell, and he said, I can tell that from you that, that this meant more than just getting... Because people want pops. People want pops signed and they, they go and sell it on afterwards. And I was apparently the only person that asked to have my name signed that day on the cover. So it says to Rob, Kevin Conroy, Batman. And for me, I will always treasure the, the special 10 minutes I had with the man and why, to this day, the legacy of that movie continues further forward for me personally, but also his words about it being what it ultimately is for him and what it is for, I think, for the majority of audiences is ultimately a, a, a love story, a broken one at that um yeah and he definitely has got you know a lot of you know great outlooks on life i think that you know the fact that his story even coming into the role the fact that he said you know he was a theater yeah. actor you know he didn't expect to get something like this you know he wasn't from a voice acting background and i think that that also is testament to the strength of the series and the film is the fact that you know they went in and said you know this is what we want we don't want it to be goofy we want it to be silly we want it to be like you know, a noir film, like a Hitchcock mm. film, in which the performances are more so like grounded and more serious. 
you know, and they searched for, you know, many different Batmans until they found, you know, the perfect one. And I think you said, like, you know, you live most of your life when you're planning to do what you want to do. So that's where he was referencing the fact that, like, I never thought I would do this, you know, that, that he didn't that didn't see, you know, this sort of career path coming for him. But, you know, hey, he then spent his career then, you know, like voicing Batman in so many different projects and video games and things like that. And I think that, again, where you can really see that he understands the character and what this film, like you said, represents so much about that kind of like, you know, mask element and, you know, understanding Batman as a character. And I think that that's why sometimes, you know, it's easy for people to just take it to this level of like, oh, he's just some cool crime fighting dude. You know, it's that idea of what Kevin Conroy said, which is, really shows how much he understands the character and i even would argue that certain actors you know for the films and stuff maybe don't know this to the full extent as much as they should to play batman is that like this guy has become batman you know i am playing batman not bruce wayne you know almost go against a bit what burton was saying earlier but i think he was coming from a different approach it was like humanizing batman and making him an actual character not adam west silliness but i think that here what he's saying is that you know this guy has turned himself into batman to you know overcome what he wants to achieve what he wants how he wants to honor his parents how he wants to sort of like live his life and kind of like right wrongs and become this symbol for gotham city and bruce wayne is the persona bruce wayne is like the you know the fake entity which i found fascinating because again as that kind of like spider-man fan in my head i was like that's interesting because spider-man I wouldn't say is the opposite of that, but it's very much that like Peter Parker is like a person and he's burdened with this Spider-Man persona and he kind of like switches into that persona to make himself deal with things. So I wouldn't say there's a Jekyll and Hyde thing with Spider-Man, but I think it very much is that like he accesses that persona when he needs to, but ultimately Peter Parker is fully is mainly the person and spider-man is just the kind of like mask that he puts on and takes on that that sort of character whereas batman yeah i think he's fully right i think that you know mask or no mask he is batman that is who he's living it is that like gravelly voice it is that dark detective you know he is doing it full time you know it's not again like peter parker he goes home and has a date and he's like living a secret life. He is Batman all the time. He is investigating when he's at home. He is, you know, going to these like parties and funerals and still investigating, meeting all these people that he might run into. So that, you know, to me showed such great understanding on Conroy's part. I guess there is a, a good jumping on point for the the cast or characters. Um, Obviously this entire film came about in the movie vault because of Mark Hamill's performance as Joker. So again, I guess that adds to the legacy as well. And something that always stands out to me is when he's describing how he came up with the character. Um, well, obviously he was created already, but when his came up with his voice. Um, and for me, you know, it's always been, again, a Star Wars kid being like, well, Mark Hamill, you know, how? But, you know, again, that was such an iconic performance. Stuck with me, you know, that voice and everything. Like you said, Rob, with... Uh, mask of the phantasm as you know the best film you know it is like no competition for me i i really would struggle to see how anybody would top mark hamill in terms of like joker and i think a lot of it comes down to what i say with a lot of projects in which i think that you know animation allows so much more in terms of like you know how you can depict a character and 
and what you intend to show visually. You know, it's such a visual medium, which works so well with film. Um, but Mark Hamill, like the places he was pulling from um, in terms of his understanding of television and voiceover work um, and his approach to having, you know, it wasn't just the one Joker laugh. I loved the fact he said that there's various laughs. Um, and I liked how he said, you know, like, I'm just looking at this picture and it's this character who's all teeth. <laughs> and I think that's just such a one, obviously, perfect representation of what that animated version of the character is, especially when you watch this film and there's literal frames in the film in which, like, he's just there with the giant yellow smile, like, taking up, like, half of his face or most of the frame. But it's just the, like, the avenues he takes here, the lunacy of it, which is also helped by the script. But it is just the fact that he's constantly laughing. There's just the, <laughs> you know, and, and the scream. I'm like, I can't even, like, you know, wreck you know replicate that in any way like it's not just a laugh and it's not just one laugh you know he like proper screams out these laughs and and that's what is so fascinating about the way that he plays the character that he's he's not just like oh i'm crazy or i know i i'm gonna laugh in a in a weird way you know he's just playing this like entity which is like working like a roller coaster on so many levels all the time what i love about his performance though is that and i'm sure you've probably seen the clips before like not just on mask of the phantasm but in other various mediums where he's recorded the role he has to stand to do the voice he's actively using his body to perform and i and you can hear it you can hear it in his performance um that he is doing the actions of you know either you know a strangle or a this or a punch or whatever or just jumping around like as you said before like how does he pull off that kind of scream the only way you can which is by bellowing out of your chair like or jumping out of your chair as much as possible and do you know what i find really astonishing because i mean i find it astonishing that tim curry was deemed too scary uh, as a voice because i don't know if you knew he was the original voice choice for the joker for the animated series and then he was deemed too scary and i mean don't get me wrong i th I, I think that played into hamill as yeah. well wasn't it when he was going to the audition he was like oh my god yeah. <laughs> like what do i do how do i follow exactly. this guy I mean, I mean don't get me wrong i think pennywise is perfect for tim curry but like for for joker it's and you hear it's in a certain episode. I think it's the be a clown episode. You see, you hear his laugh that it's on a robot clown, and it's a ha 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 ha, and it's it doesn't work. And yeah, as you said, I think Mark Hamill just comes in and realizes it's it's more like a musical instrument, you know. It's not so you know it will have variations. I, um, I, I read a fact the other day that a cat has a hundred and something plus different sounds. And I feel that's exactly the same way you would with a laugh. Um, many people would say it's the same um, each time, but no, it, I think it, I, I would believe it to be different each time. And even the subtleties of like, like if you've got like a bad cough, for example, and you're laughing, just those little subtleties like that as well. And there's one particular laugh I, I love in Mask of the Phantasm, because I, I generally think this is one of his best Joker performances but it's when he he realizes <laughs> it's when he realizes he might die. He just looks off to the side, and then he just turns and just starts laughing. It's not even like you think it's the last like it is figuratively and literally the last laugh for him. And 
I just think it's a stud and he collapses in like onto the ground knowing that either way he's <laughs> so I just love that that laugh I just think it's great it is often stated as if people were polled on like which individual laugh of Mark Hamill's they thought was the best that is the laugh that often comes out on top right I'm, I'm glad to hear that actually because I, I think it's I think it's phenomenal. Yeah, I think what's so beautiful about that moment is just like it, as a visual itself, it works so well is that you've got that laugh coming out with the big, huge mm. smile, the dramatic fire behind it. It's just like, oh, mm. you know, you can just frame mm. that, you know. And he's just, lost a tooth. And it, it's <laughs> exactly, yeah, that that just adds to it so much as well. I, I think one of my favorite um, moments, which really, like you said, depicts Hamill's approach to the character and also the way they write him as well, is that, again, he isn't just one note and it's not just I'm crazy or I'm psychotic or I'm a killer kind of thing. It's this aspect of like when he goes up to the gangster and he's like so angry and scary, which he's like, don't touch me. And he's like, I don't know where you've been. <laughs> you know, it's just like that, that change of like delivery. It then turns to such a childish, like, you know, joke, jokey performance is so you know so jarring how much he does that you know in which he flip-flops um i also find this but i think insofar as uh joker in this film um i actually find it astounding that this is only this is one of like the animated jokers like only confirmed kills in this film Mm. mark hamill does such a good job at like you know blending all the elements of joker so the fact that you know he is a bit more light-hearted he is a bit more uh random in sort of the things that he wants to achieve but also one of the most psychotic i even remember the scene where he's like you know coming into the councilman's room for the first time and he just has like the zoom in like darting scene and you just see him smiling smiling there yeah just how terrifying he could be just for just even without having to do any significant significant violence um as opposed to a lot of other jokers that you know so like heath ledgers or joaquin phoenix they're off they're known as great jokers but they have to sort of do some of the more extreme ends of the of like the villainy scale mark hamill's just on all levels like it's even the one episode of the show where like he's just seen as he's seen as terrifying just for like one guy like cut him off on the motorway and he just pounds <laughs> him down <laughs> that's a great episode uh that's yeah. joker's favor i think that one is yeah yes, yeah that's that would be it so good yeah the fact that he's so obsessed with batman um which again is just something that you don't get in like the you know the films and stuff and i think it would be hard to do in a live action sense i think what animation and stuff allows you to do is the hamels joker can do something like in this film in which he you know rings up you know the phantasm whichever way you want to say it and be like you know hey boopsie <laughs> you know and it's just like his like phrasing with certain things you know and the way then the phone is just hanging there and he's just like oh you know there's been an accident and all this kind of stuff it's just his phrasing the way he talks to people the way he interacts with people is is just perfect not to mention the entire embodying the the future world park and then just over time, more and more of that technology just turns out to be part of his murderous weapons. He is one of the Jokers that uses a lot more unconventional sort of ways of killing people, or at least attempting to kill people, and then just, like, what, the usual, uh, like, Joker toxin to just, like, make a lot of laughter and one attempted explosion. 
Well, again, we talk about, you know, like how the show is willing to go there and the film is, you know, yeah, it has guns. And even when you start watching this film, you're like, oh my God, you know, there's gunshots. What the hell? You know, you're so un- not used to seeing that so um, explicitly on, you know, an animated cartoon essentially. And But then for this to be like so early in the film and then like, you know, characters just die, die in left, right and center. But like the way that, you know, again, like the Joker's effect on people and the toxin and stuff like that, the way it's used on like, was it the counselor or something like that? The way that that appears, like not only in this scene, but again in the series and stuff, it's always such a distressing, psychotic, horrible thing, which they've never really been able to do in live action. It's always the animated things, which like said, Robin in that sort of, you know, Batman Beyond sort of like movie later on is like very creepy and twisted there. But here, it's just the way like, you know, the tears are rolling down his face and the performance, the fact he just can't stop laughing, but not from kind of a a weird like oh this is funny or you know this is like as craig said you know like gone to the extreme of psycho it's just this kind of like you know like kind of element to it it's just this like very twisted psychotic crazy thing that he does to people but it still works on like quite a few different levels but the way it's just yeah acted out in that entire thing like even when batman comes in and he's there with the mm. silhouette and everything like think, that you know and he's trying to say and the fact they try to hold yeah. him down they're like hey, keep keep yourself together and i'm just like he's poisoned or whatever i think that scene's really astonishing even like i think there are so many amazing moments in this film like i mean i'm sure we'll go through them but like that one in particular I, it always strikes me because i think as a piece of like you know, dialogue exchange, but also the beat change of like where, because it's a pivotal moment of when you find out key information and yet you've got a character who is laughing, but also absolutely terrified because the first thing he says when he sees him is, oh no, but he's laughing and crying at the same time. And it's just, and what I love about it as well, because I mean, it can be read in two ways, like that scene, which is, Either Batman is trying to be so quiet because he knows he's still on the run, like he's still on the run and he's in the hospital at a busy hospital at that. Or, uh, and Arthur Reese just thinks he's shouting at him because of how he's trying to overmatch, you know, his, because everything is up to 11 for his, you know, his, his functions of his body. Or it's, it's literally Batman shouting at him like, why? You know, like, why did he meet you? Why did he do this? Why did he do that? And, it's just, and then he grabs him and then whispers, that's not the answer I want. And it's just so chilling. So, so chilling. And it's just, you know, the voice acting as a whole in this in this piece is really astonishing. And Dana Delaney, of course, who went on to be Lois in the Superman Adventures as well. I think she does a terrific job in this film as well. I mean, I, I think that she's got a lot to juggle um in particular because i mean i think for many people when and i love that's what i love about the story is that it's it's so much i mean coming back to the whole masks thing but it's about misdirection the whole piece is about misdirection of not just um your expectations in life and what you want but also just the expectations of what you perceive stories to be for her character in particular we think she's going one way but then it's it's completely flipped on itself and she's actually the other the other end of uh, of vengeance, as it were. And I think that's just such a really... And that's why I said earlier, I felt like it was ahead of its time because I feel like if they tried to do that now in comic book movies, um, it would be seen as a refreshing 
take, as it were, whereas they were doing it back in, well, they were doing it back in the 1940s and the 50s with film noir. And that's why I think you've got this wonderful um, story played out the way it is. In, and as I said, like the key to it being this love story. Can I also just quickly point out one other scene, which I just think is beautiful, like between two actors. And it's, and I think as well, I think if the, if someone were to say to me, what is the definitive Batman scene or Bruce Wayne scene? It's the scene where he's at his grave, uh, his parents' grave. When he's asking his parents, can I be happy? I think that's one of the most... Oh my God, yes. <laughs> I, I find that to be one of the most heartbreaking scenes of the movie, but just in all of animated movies I've ever seen, because... And I and I put that up there as um, in in line or maybe even just a little bit below because I mean the music by uh, Michael Giacchino does a lot in I'm talking about the opening to Up obviously, but that scene where Bruce uh, even says, "I need things to be different now. I didn't count on being happy. You know, I can give more money to the the cops and." you know, fund them so that they can put more cops on the street, you know, let them handle it, let them take the risk. Why does it have to be me? And then you have Andrea's response, which is maybe they sent me, maybe that's why I'm here. And I just think it's so beautifully written. It's beautifully directed. It's beautifully performed by those actors. And I just think, and I know that they, they would record. And I think this is the genius of Andrea Romano, the voice acting director for the animated series but also the the mask of the phantasm film is she would treat the the performances like it was theater like they were all in the same space that they all had to act and bounce off one another by listening to one another and that's the key for any performance whether it be in film television or animation and in that scene alone i always pinpoint the moment where you go do you know what if there was a scene where you had bruce wayne breaking the mold of what he could potentially be of being a batman it's that moment right there and i just think it's just, it's astonishing yeah i think if you're looking at you know motivations and that's what's so fascinating about this film is that you have an animated series but here's a film saying oh we're gonna you know combine a origin story with like a modern story but also like a deep dive into the character while also like introducing like a new villain and a legacy villain you know it's juggling that all really well and kind of you know gives you more bang for your buck i guess in a way of it not being you know originally this film uh was meant to be just you know direct to video and then in the states they said you know like this put it Uh, into theaters and again that's interesting because i've had that conversation many times before in terms of you know something like the clone wars which you know was kind of clearly four episodes of a series kind of stitched together and kind of used as a promotional tool before the series come out whereas again i think this is different because one it is made as you know a tv movie or movie whatever you want to sort of class it as in the sense that it was going to vhs it wasn't intended originally for cinemas um but either way, it's not kind of taking the approach of just like, oh, well, let's just have this fun video movie in which you see how he became Batman. You know, that often happened at that time in the 90s in which you'd be like, hey, you know, want to see like how this happened or like what happened when they went to this place or they went on holiday? You know, check out this video, which tells you all of that, you know, something like Flintstones. And they're like, hey, it's this f- fun future look at the Flintstones and that kind of thing. It's the fact that this 
you know, decided not to go down that route. It, you know, it didn't make it kind of like a, a spectacle thing, um, or like at its own admittance, kind of like net negligible or like not important. I think that even if you look at something like, uh, what's the Mr. Freeze one called? Uh, sub with the uh, animated movie or the sub episode. Yes, uh, sub yeah, zero. Yeah. Yes, that's it. Yeah, I was trying to think. I was like, but Heart of Ice was only in my head. But yeah, sub zero. Even with that, again, it's not just. You know, they're just taking a character and, you know, making another kind of like villainous story for them without it being kind of like, you know, I don't know, Joker's last laugh or, you know, something like that. You know, they are just kind of approaching these in the ways that they would approach maybe an episode, I guess. Um, You know, and I think that that's why, you know, the the Phantom could be seen as, you know, like a villain of the week. But there's so much more complexity and emotion there because, as you said, Rob, and as Kevin Conroy put, this is a love story which i think is you know really important and it you know it talks so much like in terms of the characters talking about wearing these masks and about vengeance and about how you know you enact you know your revenge and i think that this film does quite a good job at kind of depicting batman's morals by you know his relationship with the joker to an extent as well at the end you know joker's there like you know like we're gonna die if you know like you don't just get off me and all this kind of thing and you know, he even says then later on, you know, he, he's like protecting Joker and trying to make it so that Andrea doesn't make that mistake or, or you know, go down this path or, or do anything more. So he's there fighting for sort of life until the end, which is a big part of Batman, uh, which even again, even in the newer film is something that they get quite right is that you see this version of Batman who's like new to the sort of role. And then by the end he becomes this hero and you have that scene where you saw fishing people out, you know, and he realizes how the city needs him. And while this maybe doesn't have the sort of time to sort of say the same thing or, or go into that kind of like heroic aspect of Batman, I think there's still that kind of same kind of realization by the end, that realization that, this is my purpose. This is how I honor my family and what I want to do. And like you said earlier, Rob, is that, you know, even though he's like asking for like to sort of be let go of his role by his parents, you know, I think as he says all of it, he kind of knows that it can't happen because even saying, you know, I can give more money to the police, but the police are corrupt. And, you know, like, you know why you're doing what you're doing, because it's not about like a lack of funding. It's about, you know, corruption and about like doing the right thing and being like the moral center ground which you know humans can't always do which is represented by you know andrea as a character and the fact that i think he sees himself in her mm. well said very well said i think we've got to talk about the first time he actually puts on the cowl oh yeah oh yeah like they do everything they can to really emphasize that scene so the fact that there's in the backstory there's all the build-up of there's one thing missing. I need them to fear me from the moment they see me. Um, and just they have like the actual score there. But you've got to praise the music for how just how much harder they went in this film. They saw they had a budget and they were just like, right. Latin singing choruses. Get them out here. We are we are bolstering the music. This isn't this isn't going to be a half like a half hearted job. We are going for it. And just in that scene when. You know, he turns, Alfred looks scared and it just goes to the eyes and you just have the singing there. It's just the perfect way of just showing like him taking the mantle. I think, again, that's a scene I don't think could ever be fully captured in live action because obviously in live action, there's that element of just any time you see the costume, it's going to have an element of looking ever so slightly 
goofy depending on the circumstance. So just the fact that they have the zoomed in eyes especially. And I think that's the way in which you emphasize how he can control fear in this particular way is just breaking down how how it is that people would see it. Um, and yeah, it's just an excellent scene. I think Shirley Walker was a genius, by the way. I think she was, I, I, I mean, just simply a wonderful composer. And I, yeah. I, dare I say, I mean, I mean we, we mentioned earlier, like the influence of Hitchcock and stuff, but I feel like she was her own voice. Like, I really do. I think um, what she was able to do with not only the animated series, but with this film. And as you said, that's a one, by the way, you hit the nail on the head because we've seen so many suit up moments and we know what Batman looks like. We know it's the suit's grey. We know he's got the yellow emblem. But the fact of the matter is, is that it's in silhouette. It's just a table. It's not a fancy table or anything. You know, it's, the cave hasn't been, you know, built to the highest tech possible. But it's just... It's the moment where, literally, Bruce Wayne is gone forever. Like, his hope of happiness is gone once that mask is put on. And the fact that you have that beautiful moment, as you said, where he's looking at the mask and then finally puts it on, you get, you cut to the the white eyes. Again, we know what the eye, white eyes is before, but the fact that Alfred is us in that moment, it's just, oh, yeah, it's, 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 it's remarkable. Yeah, the fact he reacts like, my God. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. Like, and all it is is just like a kind of like, in a spandex outfit of some form you know it's not like he's there like in armor or anything i would love to just shout out probably one of the best alfred scenes in in any of the movies to be honest with you um i mean there's i mean <laughs> not to make too much of a joke of this but i love in the dark knight and in batman begins how michael Caine just talks like a granddad at one point he goes a long time ago i was in burma and there was an orange a, a jewel the size of a tangerine it's like where's this story going alfred like How's this supposed to help me fight the Joker? You know, however, uh, taking that joke to one side and the scene when Bruce says, I couldn't save her, Alfred. And he just says, I don't think she wanted to be saved. Vengeance blackens the soul. And I fear that that is something that you would have gone down. And I fear that every night that you go out there. It, that's, that's, that's him and his, you know, that's why... Alfred is his dad. You know, it's he is. And completely topped off with also the line I think vengeance took her years ago. Yeah. And and you couldn't have brought her back. And it's so true and it's just Yeah, again it's another a case of just brilliant writing and brilliant voice um acting performance um in there as well. And um yeah. What I think I always liked about that Alfred as well is, again, is that idea of the definitive version is that you look at him and again, without being, you know, like, oh, he's just a butler. But I think in some ways that they have leaned a bit too much into the like father, grandfather figure um, aspect a bit too much sometimes with certain films. Like, don't get me wrong, you know, I love Andy Serkis and I thought he did a great job, but there's still that element of they have to be like, well, he's more than just, you know, like a man holding a tray with a mustache. And I'm like, but then that, you know, he is like, especially with Jeremy Irons version of him, like they again, you know, they're trying to turn him into this kind of like Jarvis type, you know, character in which he's, you know, become more, he's like this big technician and stuff like that. 
And I think, again, it's like sometimes simplicity is just works the best. You know, I just like the fact that, you know, why can't the butler be the father figure? I think even in the Batman movies, like the Tim Burton and even through to the Joel Schumacher ones, you know, that's one of the best parts, you know, in some ways of like uh, Batman and Robin is the performance of the actor who plays Alfred there because he's still playing the butler, still playing Alfred, but never in like a demeaning way. It's, you know, I think that it's, you know, done really nicely that like he plays that role. He seems to thrive in it, you know, but he's still there to be able to tell the lessons. And like you said, Rob, without being the like, you know, I was in Burma or, you know, like having this like more of like, I was actually your father. I was there, you know, like I was holding you when you were a child. I think that is a bit too heavy handed sometimes. I like that aspect of like just a kind of coincidental father figure in a way is like, I like that message in that, you know, father figures and kind of role models can come from anywhere. They don't have to be the person who sort of literally took you in and kind of raised you. Do you know Mm. what I mean? I think it is his protectiveness um, there that kind of like helps him and what, you know, he says that he has those fears for him. Um, But, you know, he still sort of plays his Mm. role, um, which I think is, is really sort of effective. Also, Batman versus the cops is pretty good. That's a pretty good scene. I was going to say that is like blockbuster level of like, you know, because you get certain, you know, a lot of the action in this film is great. And, you know, most of the time it is stellar. There's such an intensity to that. You know, it is like a blockbuster in which, yeah, he's hurt his leg. You know, he has to take the cape off. He has to take the mask off. So you're really like, oh, my God, you know, like you feel that intensity and that kind of risk he's having. Whereas a lot of the other times I think Batman feels very bulletproof and, you know, that, you know, there's no stopping him. But I think that that scene particular is... I think also like an advantage to it is the kind of restraints on animation in some ways. The fact that sometimes you can tell it is just a drawing kind of like sliding along or that, you know, it's not perfect. I think that's what you lose with something like 3D animation or even if it's like a big budget animation. I think here their restraints sometimes add to the kind of charm of it as well is that, yeah, it's not perfect when he's sort of like ducking and diving and you can tell it's a bit more like stilted or the helicopter might not be moving in the same way but i think again all of that kind of adds to the kind of choppy kind of like grounded feel almost what i will say um about the the entire police aspect of this film uh especially those scenes is that the one thing i do have to sort of laugh at is just how narratively they write commissioner gordon out of a lot of it the fact that just very early on it's just like he clearly didn't i have no part of this i'm off bye guys i'm just like wait are you seriously gone throughout the majority of the film? And this, yeah, he's just gone. The the one pivotal area of like Batman and like the connection with the police is just they just use it to the effect of yeah, his character would do this, but at the same time, wait, is he seriously not coming back, guys? Guys. It reminds me again of what we say before, Craig, in terms of like in soaps and stuff in which like a character or an actor has done something wrong and they were like, they were so angry. They've just left and they've gone. And it's like, what? <laughs> it's like that kind of moment in which they had to like, for some reason, write Commissioner Gordon out of the film. I just sometime in the, he just comes back. He's like, right, what did I miss? <laughs> <Well>. <laughs> what What do you guys actually make of like the end, I guess? Because, they, you know, that's interesting from a time frame point of view. Because again, this is like, what, an hour and 15, 16 minutes. So I think that, you know, you know that you're in for a tight kind of like, you know, very compact story. Um, and the fact that you are like very much up until the wire of like, you know, that final scene is, you know, literally, and then you're like two minutes or so to sort of like wrap it up. You know, how do you feel about the way it sort of ends? You know, it's like it's, he's there in the 
the city, etc. Um, there's not too much wrap up in terms of like, oh, well, what happened in terms of Batman being accused or in terms of uh, Andrea is then on that boat and stuff like that, you know, and Joker, where's he? You know, it, it's kind of almost like a cliffhanger in some ways. I think the ending is quite possibly the strong, one of the strongest parts about it because ultimately it ties in together of what the, the key core uh, thing of the film is, is that um, is broken love and disbanded love and basically the, the 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 two sides of the vengeance coin and seeing how it's both played out you know and or vigilantism at this at this uh, should say and ultimately and it's a very bleak ending of course but ultimately what we have is two characters who will forever be alone and it is it's it's really sad to see because on the one hand you've got one character on a boat low level and you've got one character up in the sky they're both at equal level they're both at an equal level of loneliness and sadness but one character will have to continue their journey forward because they have a mission whereas the other person Andrea because the guy on you know he says you know quite a view and he's like oh sorry do you want to be alone and she says i am alone that is her life now. She can't ever be fully happy or satisfied because what she wanted, she ultimately got, but at the cost of living a life full of happiness. Whereas Bruce still has that opportunity, but just not right now, because ultimately the one thing that was carrying through for him was that attachment to Andrea, to which he believes... Um, is gone forever, even though he knows that she's still potentially out there because of the locket in the cave. Uh, but knowing that they can't be together and the mission still goes on and that he still can't let his parents down is what carries the film through. Sorry, that's my take from it. And I think that's a really powerful way to to progress the mission to progress the mission i completely agree with everything with regards to the the ending and just the way in which it's uh performed written etc what i would say is insofar as like the joker's fate stuff i was sort of willing to buy that just i don't know i feel like there are aspects of even watching the animated series where there are a lot of the stories where they definitely are meant to feel like self-contained i mean if you actually just go through the entirety of the animated show just the amount of times that joker is supposed is in a situation where he's basically just meant to die, right? He is, like, attacked by sharks. He falls into, like, a factory chimney that then explodes. Um, loads of things like that. And you just think, how on earth did you actually survive any of that? With it? So the fact that he's just taken off at the end, I was just like, yep, fair enough. I'll see you again in a few days, Joker. I'm sure you'll survive somehow. Or just none of these stories are actually interconnected. And, of course, we all know that there's only one definitive joker animated death out there insofar as this particular character so i was always just going to believe that he will get out of it somehow but even that kind of stuff is very fun as well is the the powers almost of the you know the phantom or andrea you know i I love when she has like the smoke from her hand and he's like all wrapped up in it and you know it's that kind of 
you know, is the fantastical comic book sort of stuff happening there. And that, that would be, you know, so my last note on the sort of like memorable visuals and sort of story moments is the stuff with, you know, the phantasm, the phantom, you know, is this kind of like the entrance. And it's just so atmospheric when it comes in this, you know, the smoke Chucky saw, you know, that's just like, <laughs> just so sounds so like embedded in my brain, like, what what does she say like um, chucky soul you know, your you. angel of death awaits you yeah but then after that he's, he's like i'll come for you chucky or something so it's like the chucky name just like adds itself so well to it i think is when you were saying the names of the cast craig i could hear her saying like all of <laughs> all of those like buzz duh, 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 you know it's like yeah it's, it works so well it's actually weird to see so many gangsters in one batman property because usually you think of batman villains and you just think you know the fantastical like you think the joker the penguin the riddler uh any character with just the as their first name uh so the fact that you do sometimes forget oh yeah he has a lot of rogues gallery which are just outright gangsters i think there's contrasting information as to whether joker was ever meant to be a part of it some people have said that he was some people have said that they wanted to go completely original by the way their workaround for that is that you know he comes into the later part of the film um, and that he's not like accompanied by Harley, which also separates him from the animated show, which also, I guess, like to what Craig was saying, kind of separates him from the canon a bit as well. Yeah, because um, I don't think Harley would approve of him having effectively a robot wife. <laughs> no, yeah. So, um, which they did that in the series sometimes as well, is that he would just have his own episodes um, in which he wasn't with Harley. Yeah. But um, I think that, uh, yeah, that, that all works quite well in terms of them wanting to have an original villain and you know which is based loosely off you know a character from the comics but you know i think the phantom is very much you know again it went through all these different designs you know it looks so cool with like the scythe and the mask and the way that's used in the poster with like the you know it looks almost like this kind of tomb with them batman's mask in it which is perfect and the voice is fantastic and the smoke that comes in and I find it funny when Batman's like chasing her and she's like a little like funny, you know, dashing legs with the smoke behind. But I like how they make it like smoke is her thing, you know, like, you know, the fact that then the smoke envelops them at the end and that's how they disappear. And she uses that as a weapon throughout. I thought that that was quite clever. Maybe it would have been cool if the scythe stuck around. But again, you can't really be slicing people up in <laughs> in an animation, even though they get away with a lot of blood in I was in this just film about well, to actually. say, like, that's Joker. the thing that really strikes me each time I watch. Like, I've, I've <laughs> probably no surprise I've seen this film quite a few times. But yeah, the amount of blood that's in this film is quite astonishing. Okay, take those cassettes, rewind them and play them again, because it's time for VHS Corner. So this week, we felt that we have such a massive Batman fan, it would be remiss of us to not give them the opportunity to talk about the behind the scenes of this film, as well as like any interesting trivia uh, related to that. So Rob, talk us through what you've got for us this time. Well, um, I'll try not to get too carried away, um, but I, I do have some notes. Um, I'll try not to read too much off it. Let's take it back to its origins um for a moment and i don't know if you knew this but this wasn't supposed to happen it was originally supposed to be directed uh video but not this story it was actually supposed to be uh a storyline um which then ended up being one of the animated television series episodes called the trial and the trial is an episode where 
all of the rogues gallery, so everyone from Joker, um, Holly Quinn, Riddler, Killer Croc, Two-Face, Scarecrow, Poison Ivy, um, Ventriloquist, uh, who else can I name? Basically, all the rogues gallery are in Arkham Asylum and they've captured Batman and he's on trial for his vigilantism. Is he the reason why they are who they are? Which, first of all, is a remarkable concept for... Uh, a storyline anyway alas we did not get this um because i think at the time they felt that they wanted something a bit more uh grounded in terms of um you know rather than doing a big scale thing for the feature um because they thought you know it's going to go straight to video anyway that let's just bring something original and try some you know try something out and then alan burnett and uh i believe uh bruce tim had this idea um about um this love story and they ended up going with that. And we have now, um, well, what was originally called Batman Masks, but then eventually turned into Mask of the Phantasm. Um, and probably um, said this already, but please forgive me, but the Phantasm's never referred to once in this film. The, the character's name's never referred to it at all. Um, the, the Mask of the Phantasm is literally the only way we know that that character's called Phantasm. Um, so, yeah. But if you haven't watched The Trial as an episode, it's fantastic. It's a really tight 22-minute episode and really fun. Really fun. In terms of the writing process, Alan Burnett has even said that Citizen Kane was a key influence to the overall structure um, to writing this um, film. And you can definitely see that in regards to how they play with the flashbacks. You're going from backwards and forwards and backwards and forwards and um, how certain moments then tie in with the future and even the the whole the crux of the future being set with the past and everything else so you can definitely see that as well as um the hitchcock references as i mentioned before uh a slightly more kind of darker turn um for me to mention this uh, particular part of the behind the scenes now paul dini one of the writers for the film he mainly wrote the joker sequences i should add uh in particular because they always whenever there was joker stuff they always gave it to paul dini because he was the guy he knew that character ins and outs of it and rightly so um we mentioned earlier joker's favor being one of the episodes that he wrote and uh then introduced harley quinn um however during the making of this film uh paul dini was actually attacked um he was mugged and um he basically lost the ability and confidence to write um for the character so he was very much delayed in his writing work. So that kind of explains why the Joker kind of turns up late within the storyline, because they kind of needed to rework the script around what happened to Paul Dini. Um, while at the same time, they were in a very tight scheduling, having to redo a lot of the animation because halfway through production, they realized, oh, we've got something actually amazing here. <laughs> So we'll turn it into a feature length and um, release it to cinema. So they had to completely rescale the animation for 1851 aspect ratio. And in the midst of all of this, Paul Dini um, had been going through a very traumatic uh, event in which he they basically had to reconstruct part of his face because he took that much of a damage. I won't go too much into the story because it is very dark. However, there is a wonderful, wonderful graphic novel that he has written called a Dark Knight, a Batman story, which I would highly recommend um, you guys and the listeners because I honestly think it's one of the most heartbreaking, beautifully written, honest, raw pieces of work in terms of what it means to be a creative and what were the responsibilities that we have in terms of 
giving back to an audience and finding our voices at a very difficult time. And ultimately, the piece is about how do I write about a character which is about hope and strive and um, saving people's lives? And how comes he wasn't there to save me in the most difficult moment in my life? So when you watch Mask of the Phantasm, in particular those Joker sequences, you can see now why probably the Joker is quite more sinister and darker than ever before, I would argue. I mean, some may argue, you know, Return of the Joker, Batman Beyond is much more sinister and darker. Yes, I would agree. But I would say Mask of the Phantasm is where Joker really does fulfill his sinister, devilish side even further. And I think that comes from a really dark place and only a man like Paul Dini who was going through that dark place at the time could have written that. So it adds so much more depth to the film when you watch it with that knowledge in mind. Um, as mentioned, there are many comic book references. So Batman Year One is clear reference in this. Batman Year Two, you have a character called the Reaper, whose similar design then became on to be the Phantasm within the film. You have Danny O'Neill and Neil Adams, um, who are referenced in this. Gummy, dummy Corporations, it comes up at one point, and they make a joke on the back computer about, oh, I should have known. So that's really fun. Then you have two more. I, I have actually three more here, but I'm going to uh, leave another one um, to probably Dave, because I think he probably has this um, in his log anyway. So I'll, uh, I'll let him have that one. But Shirley Walker's opening score um, to the film now, I think this is genius, by the way. This is why I said earlier, she's a genius. So there were certain people that weren't credited in this film. And they were... Some of them were the, the, the singers, as uh, Craig mentioned earlier. So Shirley Walker got them to sing their names backwards. So the opening of Mask of the Phantasm with the... That is the names of the people who weren't credited in the final credits of the film... She purposely got them to um, translate the names backwards and sing the names in the opening because she felt everybody that works on a movie should be credited. And fair, fair play to that wonderful woman because it's an inspired choice. Not only does it sound amazing, but it's just such an amazing respect to those creatives that for some reason weren't getting credited. Who knows why? Who knows? Um, I won't dive into that too much. But then the only other thing that really surprised me, and this is my last point, um, someone started their Batman journey far further than we actually thought, and that was uh, one Hans Zimmer. He was the synthesist on this film. So he actually started his Batman journey with this film, not Batman Begins, as uh, most people would have thought. So... Uh, Along with uh, The Lion King, which he then went on to do, he also worked on Batman Mask of the Phantasm, um, which was also nominated for the Best Annie Award. And I believe it was the first superhero animated movie to be nominated and not, uh, and sadly didn't win. But then I think the first, which probably won't surprise you, lot, was uh, Big Hero 6 years later. Um, and that is my list of facts that I found about Mask of the Phantasm some uh, yeah fascinating ones there like and yeah some surprising legacy elements there i think yeah Hans Zimmer is one that i had i saw and yeah i can't help but think of something like the the scene in mask of the phantasm now in which 
he's like, what are you doing? It's like jujitsu. It's something like, you know, Hans Zimmer would be there like working away, like doing his kind of like Lion King, big mm, epic score work to like later, you know, somebody would be like, what's that guy up to with the synth? And it's like, and then years later, he's just like, yeah, this is what I was doing. <laughs> Proves you wrong. I will say, I love that touch about the singers. I knew, so listening to the music, I did think that the words sounded like nothing that I'd properly actually seen before. And that makes perfect sense as to why that is. It's because they're just effectively not words. It's just backwards words. Works so well. It's it's beautiful. And I just think, again, not knowing why they weren't credited, but the fact that she made it her mission to just get their their names in the credits and their th- them in the film in that way. I just think that's really beautiful. I think it's just really beautiful. I tried to think of what something that might be on my log might have been, though, that you were mentioning. Oh, There was a um, fact that you were mentioning. You well, said, I, oh, I it might be on I, my radar, but I might need a tease as to what it might have been. I might know what you're um, talking it's, about. It's, 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 it's like a in review, the lead basically. Oh, is this... The only tidbit I know about reviewing is about Siskel and Ebert, how orig- mm. yeah, how originally they overlooked this film, uh, yeah. but then they sort of they came across it whilst watching it, I think, on VHS, and basically did a special episode saying, "Yeah, we were completely wrong to overlook this film. Go and yeah. watch it, however you can." Which made sense yeah. considering that. Am I right in thinking the film didn't actually do that well at the box office? It's more home release. It sort of picked up a bit yeah 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 it basically it it was given a very limited run like in the cinema but also as you said it just just didn't make the money and i think i mean there's only one definitive poster that i can really find of the film and it's the one that's used on the dvd front cover so i guess that leads us to our final segment which again is more just a kind of like you know justification of the movie vault um so is there anything lastly um we'd want to add in terms of like you know why it deserves its place here any sort of like themes or elements of the film that we haven't mentioned uh craig i'll I'll go to you first look it's in there for a reason let's just leave it be (laughs) fair enough uh rob so this is reasons why it should uh remain in the vault yes yeah why it deserves its place yeah and especially because i guess originally the fact that it went in on the grounds of joker you know like a great representation of joker but you know i guess that this is our chance to kind of say as an animated film in itself you know why does it deserve its place i think there's two ways of looking at at that because as you just said like from the animation's perspective like um it has a history and a legacy in its own right that um you know, it was one of the first, if not the first, animated superhero film to be nominated for an an Annie Best Picture, and that's that's astonishing. That's really astonishing. And and I think, dare I say it, but at the same time, maybe I'm gonna eat my words a little bit by saying this. But like for me, when we talk about like superhero movies, like being a benchmark for certain other movies coming, you know, forward in time. So most people, especially Kevin Feige, has spoken about. Superman 78 being the, the the template for their Marvel movies and what they want to do emotionally and entertainment-wise, right? I would argue the same principle for terms of superhero animated movies, not just for the DC movies and Marvel, um, but for all animated superhero movies that I think Mask of the Phantasm is that movie that people can look at and go to and say, Okay, that's got heart. That's got emotion. That has something to say. 
if we look at the film that dominated the box office last year, which was Across the Spider-Verse, and then the years prior to that, it was Into the Spider-Verse, we wouldn't have those movies if it wasn't for Mask of the Phantasm, if I'm completely honest with you. And there's a reason why this movie is listed as a cult status now amongst the Batman fans and across movie fans, because it's a great movie. You know, it's a 77 plus, 77 minute plus movie. And it manages to tell a cohesive story in that time frame, which a lot of modern blockbusters can't even do in two hours. And I, and that's why for me, when people talk about what is the definitive Batman movie, um, for me, I always pinpoint to Mask of the Phantasm because of that reasoning alone. The fact that it has the heart, it has the entertainment value, it has the soul of creatives who care about every single frame that they're working on. And that's something you don't always get in live action movies with not a, not just any, but like a, not just a Batman movie, but any movie where the attention to detail frame by frame. Now I'll be completely honest with you. There are, it's not a perfect movie by any means. The animation is not always up to par. And I think that's down to being, it being a, a fairly rushed production, but what they didn't rush on was telling the story. And that for me is such a vital thing as a storyteller is why should I care and what happened next? Those are two of the fundamental questions we always ask ourselves whenever we're watching something. And with this film, it ticks those two main boxes for me. And yeah, it happens to have Batman in it, which makes it even more satisfying and more fantastical for me and for me i think it has no choice but to remain in the vault and go in the vault if it's not already in there yeah i i agree and i think when you look at like you said you know superhero animation um you know across the spider-verse into the spider-verse is you know a fantastic example as to how this can stand up as you know its, its own story something this creative innovative and i think that obviously there's an element of people you know love the animated series and it's a bit like when somebody wins an oscar for a film but kind of everyone maybe is like they've done a great job in this series or you know throughout their career but this will kind of encapsulate that i think there could be an element of that with mask of the phantasm kind of representing the series but it also helps that this is a fantastic film you know like i said which wraps up such a great compact story so i think yeah this definitely deserves its place for just like what a great piece of animation it is, regardless of like, you know, how stellar or quality that is. You know, it, it's like you said, Rob, the story as well. Staying in the movie vault then is Batman Mask of the Phantasm from 1993. Finally been able to sort of like discuss that film as a whole and uh, give it the credit it deserves. We're in the end game now. Oh, it's so annoying. Okay, end game time. Fans at home will be interested to know that this is the one and only time that David, despite the fact that he will be playing this game, has told me what game that we have to play this episode. So, under no choice of my own, do we revisit a classic old game of DC or not DC? That is the question. With the opportunity to test Rob, not just on the idea of like Batman lore, but of wider sort of DC superhero lore as a whole, one of our popular games from the past just took a variety of different characters from the DC universe, 
um, as well as a couple of names that aren't from DC. We've mixed them all up and it's your job uh, as contestants to work out if it is DC or not DC. Simple as, that's all we're looking for. I'm going to give you a name. I want you to say whether it is DC or not DC. To spice it up slightly, however, the way that we'll be doing this is instead of everyone will be getting um, the same names and you're both answering at the same time, there are two sets of characters. Uh, I have, I'm going to get a random number generator uh, just to determine which one I do. So I have no idea which order this is going to happen. Rob, because you were the guest, you have the opportunity to decide do you want to answer first or second? I'll answer I'll answer first. Okay. So before we get into the game itself, we need to know what it is that we'll be playing for. But unlike uh, the regular episodes, this is in the lead up to our uh, 100th episode anniversary special endgame. And the winner of this endgame will have the opportunity to contribute one aspect to that endgame special. Whether that's a film that they want us to use for one of the questions, whether that's an idea for a game, whether that's some like a special rule they want to introduce somewhere, they get the opportunity to decide that at a later date. So you don't have to have the pressure of knowing what it is you want to do right now. You just need to be open to coming up with ideas later on. So are we ready? Yes. All right. So your first character. Is this character DC or not DC? Angar the Screamer. Not DC. You are correct. Do we know? Was that just a guess, Rob? I, it it just, just didn't ring a bell, to be honest with you. Just didn't ring a bell. Yep. So that is a Marvel character. So David, your first one. Gem. <laughs> Gem. <laughs> That's it. Just Gem. Um, J-E-M-M. There's so many characters called Gem in like other things, so I'm going to say not DC. There is a DC character uh, called Gem. God, sing. You're throwing me <laughs> with a character which is from Dark Crystal, so I'm like, oh, it's clearly him. Okay. Your second character, Rob. Right. Arm fall off, boy. Sorry, say that one last time. <laughs> Arm fall off boy. Arm fall off boy. They're all connected by dashes if that helps. Right, 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 right. I'm going to say not DC. There is a DC character oh. called wow. Arm fall off boy. Ugh, <laughs> damn. Is that that's not the one that's in the James Gunn Suicide Squad film though, is it? Or is it? Is there an arm fall off boy in that There's, film? I don't remember. Um, at the beginning, the guy who like separates his arms and he goes and like taps people and then he gets shot. I can't it's even like, remember that bit. I'll be honest with you. I can't even remember that. Uh, I right. think, well, I've typed in arm fall off boy suicide squad. Yeah, I think mm. that is him. All right. Yeah. Okay. So David, your next one. Are you ready? Yes. Detective Chimp. Chimp? Yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was just checking that's not your answer right you are just answering in a DC or not DC question chimp <laughs> um, such a mind game is this like DC am I, am uh, that, I, uh, that, that's the I quiz is it DC, DC am right. I act, I'm like surely I'm right regardless so DC sorry what <laughs> well if he's detective chimp he is DC even if he's not DC oh shut up <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he is a DC character, but that yeah, is not yeah, yeah. why he's like getting. That <laughs> is, is that not what the is, logic. is? Is that is? Is he named after him? 
to be fair, that was pretty good logic, actually, to just, just spring it out just like that. Oh, yeah, well, he's a detective, so surely. Yeah. You know. I'm assuming, yeah, yeah no, detective I mean, comics, if that so is not... it, If that is it, then I, I weep for the quality of DC I wanna comics. I want to see the origin story of DC in which Detective Chimp makes the studio. The... <laughs> well, it is out there, so have fun with that. Uh, Rob, your next character. Cool. Bomber the Jungle Boy. <laughs> Bomber the Jungle Boy. Yes. Why not? Yeah, I think that's a DC character. Let's go for it. You would be correct. Yeah. There we go. That was a guess, David. <laughs> okay. That was a guess. Yeah, so apparently uh was the main character in like a, a, sh- a short series of like 20 books, uh, but written by DC. Ca- ca- I, I have no idea who the hell it is, but it is a DC character. I, uh, I, David. It's the first I've heard of it. Yep. Um, yours, Metamorpho. I don't know, like, we've had so many, like, apart from Detective Chimp, but we've had so many, like, <laughs> epic-sounding names, or at least something which is kind of, like, weird or quirky, like, armful of boys. So this just sounds a bit too generic for DC, so I'm going to say not DC. Just checking, you've seen the Justice League cartoon, haven't you? Mm, not all of it. It shows, because he's in it. <laughs> uh, uh, you're okay. wrong. <laughs> Damn. So, Rob, you know, uh, you know Metamorpho. I do. Yep. Yes. Yep. Okay, Rob, your next character. Cool. Ambush Bug. A- ambush Bug? Yes. <laughs> ambush Bug. Ambush Bug. Ambush Bug. Yeah, I'll say that's a DC character. Cool. Uh, you are correct. David, your next character. Are you ready? Yep. Atomic Knight. Again, I don't know, just... It could be something from the 60s or earlier, I don't know. But then Marvel has like things like Captain Britain and a few medieval characters, so maybe I'm going to say not DC. It is a DC character. Uh, so Rob, your next one. Okay. Hellcow. Hellcow. Yeah. Um, I think that might be a DC character. <laughs> I think it is. Is that your final answer? Yeah. Yeah, well, let's go. It's, it's a Marvel character. So uh. no. Oh, <laughs> no. Okay, damn it. All right. That's unfortunate. Okay, so David, your next one. Yep. Adam Strange. Hmm. Well, there's Adam Warlock, and then there's Stephen Strange. <laughs> but is there an Adam Strange? I'm going to say DC, because there's so many of those kind of like similar named characters in comic books. And you would be correct. Yeah. Okay, so Rob, your next character. Cool. The Clipper. The Clipper. Yes. Yeah, I'll say that's a DC character. And you would be correct. Is he a barber? (laughs) (laughs) No, specifically, so I read up a little bit about this guy. Uh, What he would do is uh, he would literally slice off a part of criminals' ears so they would be permanently marked. Oh, Mm. okay. Yeah, so uh Damn. Right, David, your next one. Kite Man. Oh, this is definitely a DC character. Are you sure? Yeah, isn't he in the Harley and Harley show? Are you sure? And he was in Lego Batman, wasn't he? Yeah, you're right, you got the point. <laughs> <laughs> such a big such a big leap from uh, Harley Quinn and Lego Batman. Right. Rob, your next character. Mm-hmm. Space Cabbie. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh god space cabbie i'm gonna go with not a dc character well it is a dc no! character. Oh, wow. <laughs> damn it okay that's unfortunate so david your next character yep odd man there's so many odd men <laughs> yeah and this now i mentioned lego batman i'm just thinking of all the like something mans that were like in the villains <laughs> rogues gallery from the different different projects over the years odd man um yeah again there's so many weird like dc villains then i'm like why not why not indeed that is correct hey <laughs> i i was like i want to say the other ones but i can't in case they come mm. up <laughs> okay Oh, you uh, you, you know don't, the one I'm thinking you of. Don't, you don't want a fredding the shark situation then. No, exactly. Yeah, just mention all of them. Cool, Rob. Your next character. Yes. So you're a fan of Batman. Oh, Are God. you a fan of Bat Ombre? I'm sorry. What? Bat? What? Bat Bat Ombre. Bat. Uh, um. Yeah, I'll say it's a DC character. Because it is. Congratulations. Yeah. Is this like the multiverse? Like yeah. Yeah. Batman. Yeah. All right. So David. Your next character, Bork the Food. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. It was, it, I don't know why I'm laughing. I think it's because the, the, the initial reaction when David said it all. Just. <laughs> I know. Plus, I'm like, is Rob's reaction like, oh, I know who this is? Or is it, that's ridiculous um, and it's not real? Oh, I've, I've bluffed you, sir. Have I bluffed you? Yes. I know if it sounds a bit like what that X-Men character is, which is some like weird looking kind of slimer looking character. So I'm going to say not DC because it may be like a weird Marvel villain or something. You are correct. It is not a DC character. Ah. Specifically in my research, there was a character called Bork 2. Um, right. So I decided to put another one on. I just have Bork the food. <laughs> well we're coming up to your final questions okay and let's look at the scores uh it's a dead tie oh five god. points each oh god here we go so the pressure is on i do have a tie break situation if needed okay so rob yeah your next one gladion that's a dc character it's not no uh... It's a Pokemon, isn't it? It's it, well, it's a Pokemon character. Oh, f um, off! <laughs> sorry, sorry, just classic off. Craig. Oh, there's always one in every game. Um, oh, and in this case, it's from Sun and Moon. So, David, your last character, DC or not? Who knows? Extraño. Um, I don't know. Sounds like it might be like one of those really weird like Justice League members. So I'll say DC. Sounds like a painkiller. So is Extraño a DC character, David? We all know that your 2023 was littered with many, many endgame failures. <laughs> you start this year <laughs> with a victory. It is a DC character. Oh, wow. You get the point. Okay. There you go. And so the well winner played. is David. And you tie and you led it with like David told me to do this game, so now it looks suspicious. Yeah, hence why <laughs> to be clear, David had no input into the actual research of the uh research of the characters whatsoever. I have to brush up on my Pokemon the next time I do a DC quiz. <laughs> 
a valiant effort there, Rob. And uh, yeah, in terms of, you know, it, it's not a film choice for me this time. So maybe I'll end up asking what you think should be the contribution to the end game anyway, as I'm sure I'll be uh, helping Craig construct the chaos there but or whether i want to sort of use it as a chance to get something crazy in there who knows but uh yeah thank you for joining us rob yeah it's been uh absolute joy talking about one of your favorite uh characters within fiction um and how much uh, it means to you and obviously the animated series getting to talk about that you know it's we talk about movies but it's a great chance to talk about a television show in some ways but also um a fantastic animated film um so going into 2024 uh, what have you got coming up and what can people expect from you and where can they find you? So um, what I've got coming up is I'm in production for my latest short film production. It's called Punching Bag. Uh, we did a crowdfunding campaign, which went pretty well. And yeah, we're now in production. We are making a boxing drama about mental health. And it's about an amateur boxer that is battling his demons as well as an opponent in what could prove to be ultimately the fight of his life. And the best way that I can describe this movie to people who don't know like what this movie is, is it's essentially Raging Bull meets uh, Darren Aronofsky's Black Swan. So it's a very dark movie. Um, it's a very ambitious movie. And um, yeah, we're going to be f- filming it later this month. Then later down the pipeline, I think it's going to be Festival Circuit just getting the 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 next feat the 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 feature i should say up and running and uh i've also written a second feature film as well so let's get that one pitching out there and uh yeah man the rob ailing slate of movies is uh ongoing and it will keep going throughout the rest of the year and people can find me on at rob ailing on instagram or at rob ailing film on x which has taken quite a long time to get used to saying Mm. yeah definitely but yeah cool yeah definitely go check out uh rob's projects there um especially uh the film which will be coming soon and uh yeah a really important topic as well like i said talking about mental health and uh something that plays a big part within boxing as well so and go check out your previously mentioned film uh living in crime alley which is most ties to the topic we're talking about today as well which is uh batman as well uh, which you know even received attention from Kevin Conroy, I think, when you mentioned that it is to him, that is it? true. He was uh, generally very surprised by the take that I was going with the film, and um, he was taken back by how it was very ground level. It was, and uh, uh, to the core of it, it was just like an emotional drama rather than a straightforward like action fan film or just film, really. So. Yeah, I I, cher- I cherish that 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 conversation for the rest of my life. If um, yeah, it, he was a remarkable human being. So uh, if anybody wants to check out uh, your film, do, do they tend to all go onto like a YouTube channel? Or is this specific for Living in Crime Alley? Yeah, yeah no, it's, um, it's literally else? YouTube Living in Crime Alley, uh, Batman fan film, and it's there. Awesome, go check it out. All right, well, thanks, Rob. And uh, yeah, now this starts uh, 2024, so we've had a fun look back there, but we've got plenty more episodes to come up within the new year. Um, like I said, if you want to get me and Craig's thoughts on what we hope to see within this year on a reflection of what we got last year, so comparing 2022 uh, to 2023, the kind of like name and the sort of theme that we've given to that year go check out um our previous episode which is our sort of uh recap of the movie vault um and we talk all about yeah 
the type of films that we hope will come up but obviously as we mentioned here today there will be a few more famous ones and also ones that have been circulating in our brains for a while as we come up around the 100th episode but also as we go beyond that as well in terms of when there's films that we just need to cover and see if they should go in the movie vault uh, which don't always come into our sort of usual chain of movies and you can also find out in that episode what is our first official film of the year in terms of that chain should be talking about next time because we both know what that is right craig we both know exactly what we're starting off with in the year mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah keep an eye peeled for our next episode it's going to be very fun very exciting where will it lead us like I said we, you know the the train that uh, seven which was originally recommended by rob led us for last year we will next time's film lead us on to so go check out what that is uh, make sure you are subscribed and uh, yeah please do uh, rate us and review us wherever you can uh, especially to keep an eye out because we'll be asking for um suggestions for our 100th episode in terms of what film we should be looking out so please keep an eye on our socials uh, as well for all of that anything lastly from yourself craig nope just uh i hope that this is a diverse year of diverse diverse films says please <laughs> what do you mean says craig no i was gonna say says craig as he manically laughs like joker in a puff of smoke <laughs> okay so thank you again rob it's been an absolute pleasure and yeah please go check out mask of the phantasm if you haven't along with uh, all the other recommendations series shorts such as living in crime alley and we'll see you again in the thank next one thank you very one. much guys bye 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 keep up with the latest episodes of well good movies you can listen to us on all your usual podcast outlets including apple google spotify youtube and more don't forget to follow us subscribe and rate us where you can to keep our podcast growing you can follow us on twitter facebook and instagram at well good movies to keep up with the latest news and highlights from all our episodes as well as tell us what movies you want to be discussed in the future so what are you waiting for Go check out the film we'll be discussing in next time's episode. Oh my god, this is gonna Is it cricket? No, it's uh my sister for Christmas gets me these like uh quiz pokeballs. Uh it's like a who's that Pokemon sort of thing, but it's somewhere buried amongst a load of my junk. Where are you? Stop! 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 I don't know how to turn it off. It's just gonna. Oh, f you. Yes!